Welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright idea was this anyway? I'm Andrew Peyton Smith, founder and CEO of Jizoodle. And welcome to the Founders Podcast. Whose bright ideas was this anyway? And we're up to episode 11. I'm not sure where this time has gone. And we've got a very, very special guest today, Joe Hanlon. And I'll just do a little bit of a bio for Joe. And you'll have to excuse the noise. We're at um, recording at Wyong Race Club today. And we've got uh, the first part of our uh, investment in our new Polytrack um, going live. So there could be some truck noises and so forth in the background. Let's hope not anyway. But anyway, Joe Hanlon... Joe is um, is passionate about small business success through building strategic vision and development of his people, as well as ensuring small businesses develop develop business and people driven metrics to ensure a successful path for business. Joe's got an MBA from the University of Sydney and is a prominent leadership and management authority based here on the Central Coast. Joe is also a huge advocate of the power of advisory boards. And love to welcome you, Joe. Welcome to the Founders Podcast. Thank you, Andrew. Lovely to be here. How's your day been so far? Great. I'm just sparing a thought for the fireys, I guess, mm. who are working really hard in our local area to keep us all safe and our friends and family out west. So just really wanted to give them a huge vote of thanks and a plug uh, for their courage and their commitment. Absolutely. We're absolutely second there. And of course, the, the big three mile fire and the hospice uh, mountain fire is not that far away from where we are now. No, it's not. And, you know, the thing that's scary is it doesn't matter what it's like today. It just mm-hmm. really depends on the temperatures and the wind and which way it's blowing. And we really have no control over that at all. Yeah. Anything can explode at a moment's notice, as we would have seen if you'd been looking on some of the social media posts. So. Absolutely. And oh, and obviously the role of um, Wang Race Club here is obviously as an emergency evacuation centre mm. for um, for horses and so forth. Because there's a lot of horses in the Kulnara and the Mangrove Mountain area. Mm. So uh, doing a great service here at Wang. Absolutely. Excellent. Right. Let's get underway. Um, I want to talk about strategy and strategy for, for startups. With startups, there's a lot of talk about lean methodology and learning and building and measuring and testing and relearning and so Mm. forth. But um, strategy seems to get forgotten in many areas of startup life and small business life. Why do you see strategy as being important for for small businesses? I liken it to knowing where you're going. I often use the analogy of finding your way to Canberra. Mm-hmm. So it's what I use a lot and people seem to get it. It's down the road. You've got to know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, you can wander all over the place. So yeah. I liken having a strategy. It all lines up behind your mission, your vision, mm-hmm. your values, your purpose, all of those sorts of things. And we can talk briefly about those. But yeah. strategy is so important because once you know where you're going, you can determine how you're going to get there and which way is going to be most productive, most effective and most beneficial. So mm. And that doesn't matter how big or small your business is, you really do have a clear idea of what you're doing. But one of the key things I'd say about strategy at the moment is you've probably heard the term VUCA world. Have you heard Mm -hmm. that? So the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. It's a US military term. But it, I guess, identifies why a lot of startups and small businesses go lean because Mm -hmm. it means that it allows them to be more flexible and agile. If you don't have flexibility and agility built into your plan or your framework, then you can be very fixated on your 
way of doing things and you can end up missing the boat and missing other opportunities that might get you there quicker and you also may end up being left in the dust. Mm. So those are really important points, I think, to consider. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good explanation, actually. And I like the whole idea of taking, so you, it's having a direction to where you want to go. But yeah. and I, whenever I talk about this, I use the analogy, um, that not so much Canberra, but also when well, you stand at the base of the Himalayas and you want to, you want to yeah. get to the top of that mountain, yeah. you can't do it in one jump. You've got that, the direction where you want to go. You, what steps can you take? to get you towards that summit of that mountain as well. Absolutely. But it's also being responsive to the conditions and the variability Mm. or the variables that you find along the way. And that's where flexibility and agility comes in. And so I think a lot of businesses, I think probably more traditional businesses and ones that have been established for quite a long time, tend to be a little bit fixed on this is the way it has to look and this is Mm. the way we're committed to. But again, if you do that, you can end up really ignoring or avoiding or, or missing out on some key opportunities that might get you there, whether that be people, whether that be processes, whether that be systems or just any variances or, or continuous improvement aspects, I guess, yeah. you can actually make to your business along the way. Absolutely. And obviously it is such an important part for, for all businesses. One of the things that I've certainly noticed over over my um, very, very long career is the mismatch between strategy and bringing in the operational pieces to actually marry up with that strategy. How important do you see this? You know what, when I go and work with my clients, this is one of the biggest issues and mismatches that I see. So I have clients that bring me either new clients or existing clients, and it's about Performance, essentially. Mm. It's either business performance or staff performance when they often call me and say, Joe, come and help. So I go in there and the first thing I really do, and this comes back to strategy, is actually understand what is the mission and vision of the business? Is it still Mm. the same if it's an existing client or what is it if it's new? The other thing, purpose is a very popular word in this day and age, right? So what does purpose actually mean to Mm -hmm. people? Because I think people are going, what does that mean? I have to be esoteric and all this. So if you bring it down to tin tacks, really, older people, older staff, older team members probably look at a purpose as something to where they can contribute to the business Mm. and add value to the business and and what it's doing. Whereas younger people, what they're now looking for is to actually have the business they're working for make a positive impact in their community. So it's about the heart and soul. I've got a bit of a theory about that, Andrew. I think those of us that have been around for a few years probably relied a lot on more established and traditional associations, whether it be religion, whether it be some type of organisation that we belong to, whether we, and a lot of it's voluntary work. And we spend a lot of our free time, I guess, working for our own satisfaction, I guess, as much as for the people that we're benefiting. Mm. Again, much like these fireys are doing right now. But it's about having where having a mechanism which allows us to contribute towards a greater good. Yeah. Whereas a lot of younger people, I think, have lost faith or they don't have that faith in those mm. associations and organisations that we have or yeah. had. Therefore, they're still wanting to contribute somehow and so they're looking much more towards their workplace to mm. actually create that sense of purpose for them. And I think that's my opinion. My belief is that where the, a lot of that's coming from because that's very much a basic need for a human person, human being. So how does that line up with strategy? <clears throat> so once we understand the purpose the organisation has or the mission and the, vi- the vision, we have to have values, as we talked about. However, so often, and I'm sure you would have experienced this, 
it's in the business owner in their head. It's in yeah. their head and they yeah. and they almost expect their staff or their team to absorb it. <laughs> I do this all the time. <laughs> yeah. So rather than articulate and what their goals and their dreams and their and their metrics and things are, they're assuming a lot a lot of the time that their staff are going to know where they go, what they're doing, mm. why they're doing it, and how they're going to measure success, right? Yeah. So what I find when when we go into organization, when I go into an organization, it's often about going back to Tintax and extracting that data from the business owner's head, putting it down in paper, putting it in pictures, however we want it to be represented. Yeah. But then communicating it to the team so everyone goes, oh, is that why we're doing this? Mm. Because they can actually either get an emotional attachment, a lot of them wanting that emotional attachment, or just pride or a measure of success for themselves in how they are actually doing because most Mm. people want to be able to succeed and do a good job in what they're in what they're working yeah. on, right? Because it's been, we spend so much time of our life at work. Mm. So I think that's one of the biggest things. It's the communication. It's the yeah. communication piece. And, and when that's missing, I find that that's where a lot of the problems start. However, when it's expressed and articulated and documented, then essentially it's a lot easier for people to come in behind, understand it, and then align. It's like the, the geese. If you're thinking of the geese mm. flying in a V formation, if everyone knows where they're going, then it's yeah. very easy for everyone to do their job and to to step in um, and do what they need to do to contribute. Absolutely. And funny enough, this has been a really common theme in some of the um, discussions we've had over the last few weeks. Um, Brendan Rogers brought this up and Ush Danak brought, brought this up as well, is the importance of uh, not just the communication piece, but how you go about communicating. And, Absolutely. And really excellent leaders communicate in a means of telling stories and bringing their teams along with them. It's that emotional connection that we've talked mm. about. People are wanting more than just... We want to make more money. For example, yeah. an organisation I worked for many years ago, uh, This is I use this example all the time, the tagline was to increase shareholder value. Mm-hmm. Gee, that's really exciting. That's going to get me out of bed in the morning, right? Yeah. But what we did was locally, we actually workshopped what it, the business was trying to do on a local level and we changed the tagline to making a meaningful difference in okay. patients' lives, yeah. right, because I was, it was a big healthcare company. Mm. So what we found then is that everybody in the organisation from the floor in the warehouse all the way through customer service, all the way through production, all the way through management and sales and everybody could really pinpoint how their effort contributed specifically to making Mm. a meaningful difference in patients' lives. And so when you can actually express something with that emotional tag uh, and, as you mentioned, um, tied to stories, tied to success, Things that happen in the business, yep. like that person who, from the warehouse who went that extra mile and delivered a life-saving blood recombinant factor mm. in one case to right to the to the patient's door, so they could have that that medication right then and there, rather than waiting till Monday because that's where the freight forwarders would come and pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that moves the whole strategy discussion from almost a technical uh, means to almost a completely personal and human means, almost of, of, of enabling that. Yeah, I mean, you need to have your concrete metrics because mm-hmm. with any business that has a strategy, you have to have some degrees of success. Otherwise, people don't know whether they're doing a good job or not. Yeah. And the company can't measure, the business can't measure where it's being successful and where it needs to improve. Mm. So what I find is um, having those clear measurables and that articulated, the KPIs or yeah. whatever you want to call them, just backs up and, mm. and anchors 
that emotional pull or that that belief and that that passion for what people Ab- are doing. Absolutely. Just talking about metrics, that's a really good segue into what I was going to talk about next. Actually, we um one of the things that's frustrated me throughout my career is. The emphasis on numbers, but the, it's almost like the, the more, the, the bigger quantity of numbers you can get out within a business or a team or a department, the better. What frustrates the life out of me is, is what numbers are, what value are those numbers actually providing? What are they enabling, enabling you to do? So do you come across companies that are just collecting numbers all over the place willy nilly without any real purpose and without the fit into the strategic? Um, direction that they're supposed to be measuring at all. Do you, do, you, do you find that with your clients? So I guess there's almost two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. In the in the big organisations, yes, I find mm. that there's so much data you can drown in it, and some of it's useful, and some of yeah. it's not, and some of it's some of it's paid attention to, and some of it's not. In smaller organisations, I find there's a lot of people that don't have any numbers, mm. and they're maybe still using systems that aren't giving them visibility or transparency to the numbers yep. that are important to their business, i.e. profitability and productivity numbers, because yep. there's no doubt for any business, whether it's a not-for-profit or whether it's a for-profit business, you have to have successful metrics. So it's really important to have the metrics that matter to be focused on and and those and then we need to make sure that they cover a range of aspects of the business. So I think what I think you're alluding to and maybe part of it is a number of organizations focus just on the financials, which Mm -hmm. can result in bad behavior, which we've seen in a number of organizations, which we won't go into, but with the balanced scorecard approach, you mm-hmm. know, we're looking not just at the financial metrics, we're looking at business process efficiency, we're looking at customer satisfaction metrics, we're looking at staff and and individual success rates and things. And so, and also a lot of organizations now also measure corporate social responsibility. So yeah. I have another client that their one of their key goals is to provide a defined number of or dollar value to one of their chosen charities. Okay. And it's because it's a percentage of their turnover, mm. they know that if they focus on that amount of money that they're wanting to donate to charity, that the rest of their business is producing and it's on track. Yeah. But that's a really different way of actually measuring or focusing your your metrics. Mm. So um, you've got the people in the background, obviously, that, that are, che- are checking to make sure that the financials are all on track. But a lot of the conversations that we have um, at our quarterly, at the quarterly team meetings are about how they're going to their to delivering on their charitable donations, and that mm. just puts that extra little bit of pride and emo- that emotional attachment we were talking to into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And just tying up this this little section, um, we talked about operational areas being completely consistent with strategic direction and. Um, there'll be operational strategies, there'll be HR strategies, there'll be marketing strategies, but they all need to be, so what you're saying is they all need to be consistent to the overall company strategy, but also each of those needs to be measurable towards that overall company strategy. So there'll be different levels of, of measurements and strategies. Yeah, so you've got to make sure that they cascade from the top down to the bottom. I think mm. that what a lot of organisations do is they have try and have too many metrics yeah. and then it, people just get lost in, in measuring measuring results rather than actually focusing on the top small handful that really do matter for their role, mm-hmm. but they all need to cascade from the top to yeah. the bottom because you've got the different levels of responsibility, accountability and and 
yeah, the things that matter to each of the different roles. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. What are your favourite types of client? What industries do you enjoy? Just here, here's one I haven't prepared you for. Actually. <laughs> no, that's okay. So it's just you, I can see so much passion that you come from. I'm actually intrigued and curious as to as to what type of industries you get really great joy out, and you make that that huge amount of difference to to your clients. That's a really interesting question, Andrew, because if I think across my client base, it is so diverse. It's just incredibly diverse. And it's from NDIS clients to furniture removal organisations to childcare centres to professional services to wholesalers and manufacturers. So they're really different. Mm. And and I guess in many ways the industry probably doesn't matter so much. I mean, mm. I'm obviously because of my background, I'm quite comfortable in the health-related industries, yeah. um, starting off many years ago as a nurse. That's where I came from. And... So, but what I find now is that all of those skills and these things that we're talking about are absolutely transferable across any industry Mm, and it doesn't actually matter. And for those of us that go into these industries, and often it's not that industry knowledge that they're looking for, Mm. it's actually the transferable skills and best practice or or innovative practices that they can actually take from industry to industry. So it's about learning from other industries. And, And if I think about that, one of my favourite phrases at the moment and, and and discussion topics is about collaborating, connecting and communicating between okay. people because with the democratisation of information mm. based on the internet, really you can go out and get whatever information you want mm. that's going to be relevant to your business. But it's then about making it specific to your business and in the principles and, and using those best practice or innovation innovative type ideas but it's the business owners and the people in the business that generally are the ones that then take it and personalize it or customize it in saying that though there are obviously times when our prior experience does add that extra little bit of value to Mm. to our clients and I suppose I would have to say healthcare related industries is probably that but I find manufacturing and wholesaling really interesting as well. It's a whole different world, the whole supply chain inside of things. Oh, fascinating. And, and I guess because of my background, it's actually business background, even though I'm working probably more in the people-related areas now, but it's I've got a pretty good general idea of how all the pieces of businesses fit together, which mm. really helps in, in understanding each particular department's considerations and issues, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you're doing really well today. It leads me on to my next section, <laughs> section really well. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, one of the big fogs in my head as we looked for sort of scale Jizoodle and so forth is, right, taking on additional team members, building a team and so forth. One of the big fogs in my head is around the whole HR strategies and planning that we're going to need to look at as we grow. And I know from speaking to a lot of um, startup businesses, this is the one big fog or one real big fogs that a lot of founders um, have. So from an HR or strategic HR perspective, um, when you're planning to sort of build successful um, teams and so forth, where would you even get started with a small business? (laughs) (laughs) At the very beginning. (laughs) So I think one of the things that's really interesting is actually for the business owner to really know themselves really well. Mm. And one of the other things is for them to be very clear on where their passions, skills and competencies lie. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people make some, I guess, less than ideal decisions about the role that they or other team members take on. And that's because you get an 
if you're offering somebody a position, often they come in all guns blazing, everyone's really excited and they get going and then they think, this is boring or, <laughs> oh, my God, I hate this or I'm really not good at this or whatever that is. So I think that one of the key things is identifying the parts of the business that are critical to, to its success, mm. identifying the skill sets and the competencies that are needed to support those yeah. and then look for the people that you need. Okay. Yeah. What often happens, especially in family-run businesses, you've got families that come in, you've got a husband and wife, or you've got parents, kids, family members, and everybody thinks, oh, great, I've got a job for life here, or a piece of, they want a piece of the pie, or whatever yeah. that is, and that's fine if it's going to work. But it's still really important to make sure that you're matching, not a square, yeah, it's like a square peg in a square hole rather mm. than a round peg in a round hole. That's not to say people aren't trainable, they absolutely are, but yeah. they have to be have an inclination or some type of uh, interest or passion for mm. where they're going. Otherwise, it's just not sustainable. So, and a lot of people, I think, tend to jump in and they think, I've got to take employees on full-time or part-time or whatever, and, they, and there's so mm. many options now. Yeah. It, it's really hard. So it's about once you sit back, understand your own skills, your own competencies, your own passions, and put yourself into the position that's going to be the best for you, then it's about, okay, who do I need to complement me mm -hmm. and what skill sets do I need to complement me? And then look at either gig economy workers. Mm -hmm. Over 7% of population in Australia now works in the gig economy. Is it that high now? Yes, and it's increasing fast. Wow. Wow. What that means is that people are less inclined to have that emotional attachment to their workplace. Yeah. And if they're not happy where they are, they'll tend to just up and leave very mm. quickly because they realise that they can either do something part-time to get them by until they find the job that they really want. Yeah. So I think it's really important for employers to realise that. That live-to-work ethic that we mm. had or our parents had just doesn't exist so much. Yeah. Now. It's about work's got to support my lifestyle and 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 work around me and what I want and what my interests and needs are mm. rather than the other way around. So, but then there's the full-time people, the part-time people, the fixed-term contractors, the independent contractors, um, the gig economy workers, and so there's all sorts mm. of people you can pick from. One thing that's just to, to hit my brain with, uh, obviously, the, with gig economy workers, that, that provides huge um, flexibility and agility for businesses yep. to turn on and turn off yep. uh, resources as needed. How does that then fit in with, the shared vision, the communication of the vision and everything else. Isn't there a conflict in those two areas? Yes, there can be. I guess it, again, depends on whether if you've got a gig worker, really what they're wanting is flexibility probably mm -hmm. and the ability to do a whole lot of bits and pieces for different people. So it's probably less important to them. But I think st people still want to know, especially younger workers, still want to know that they're actually doing work for an organisation that has meaning and, and mm. that's being ethical, right? Because some a, a lot of people in the younger age group do have a lot of judgments and things around around what they're seeing people do. Interesting, I was just reading a piece of information from Gartner this morning, mm. and they actually say that the the three areas that are impacting turnover of young people at the moment is respect, and that's okay. receiving respect from the people they're doing work for, yeah. whether that's employers, full time, short, part time, or whatever. Uh, education and development opportunities, so the the opportunity to develop their skills and to learn mm. new things. And then the third thing is co-worker quality. Oh, wow. Which is really interesting because yeah. often, you know, the, what I see is, especially in smaller businesses, they've got people in there, whether it be family members, whether it be people they've had in there for years, they've grown up through the business, but maybe that person has is not the best person for that role anymore mm. in the business. 
um, and they potentially can turn toxic or you've got some great people that are getting great results but they're also toxic in the workplace. The impact on fellow workers, this data or this information and, and, and survey is showing that people are getting a lot more picky about who they actually work with and they're not prepared to tolerate mm. toxic workers, yep. especially ones that they see are getting all sorts of benefits from the employer just because they bring in the money. Mm. So that can often happen when you've got a top salesperson. They're fantastic at sales. They bring in great results. And because of that, previously, they have been granted all sorts of leeway, I suppose, yeah. in behaviour. What's happening now, though, what the data is showing is that people are just not prepared to put up with that. And if they're wow. not happy, they go, I'm, I'm up and I'm out of here. Because, And the other thing is that the employers have got to think about people in business or who are running businesses or owning them is thinking about that. It's not just about the, the results and the, the KPIs, as we were talking about before. Mm. It's also about the behaviours. It's also yeah. about the cultures, the values, and how people do their work and how they work together in a team. So, mm. yeah. So I'm a little, did I answer that question? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It probably, uh, it's probably brought about 6,800 different questions. From, <laughs> just from a management perspective, you've then got a massive dilemma in terms of how do you play that? Because if your strategy and vision for the company is to be in one place and you know that you've got highly performing people, but they potentially are holding back where you want to go, that's a massive decision to take to be replaced by potentially short-term workers anyway. That's a massive yeah. decision strategically, yeah. huge one. Yeah, and that's where technology and systems are really important, mm. Andrew. I think a lot of people are very busy rushing forward and because if they may have some people that have been there right from the start, so everyone knows their job, right? Mm. However, when people, it is time for people to move on or they choose to move on or something happens, if they leave there's and there's a big gap, then that's, a, that's especially for smaller businesses, that has the potential to be yeah. very impactful. So I think one of the things that's really important for business owners to remember and to think about is when you've got people in the job doing a good job, get them to document, get them mm. to systemize, get them yeah. to, to write down what they're doing, how they're doing, or automate it as much as possible. Yeah. So anybody new coming in can basically see what needs to be done and can pick it up relatively quickly. But I think there's another addition to that. A lot of people, we're very wedded to especially people who've started a business, we're so passionate about what we've started and we think that our way is the only way and the best way. Mm. I think that's, and what I've experienced is it's really important to recognise that other people have, if you pick the right people, you're picking them for their A, their attitude and or B, their skill set, so whichever yeah. is more important to you. Give them some leeway and some autonomy to do their mm. job and do it well. Set the parameters of the business I call whatever, if you have policies, procedures, processes, whatever, I call them the fence at the top of the cliff yeah. rather than worrying about an ambulance at the bottom, right? Yeah. So basically the more structure you can have or the more automation, I know a lot of people are scared of the word automation, but it certainly helps everybody get up and running a lot more quickly and it mm. means that the people involved in doing the role can then contribute by adding their personality or their style to the business and yep. creating that value and contributing in a, in a deeper and more meaningful way. Mm, absolutely. And, and another question that's just come to mind, <laughs> actually, you've been inspiring so many questions in me today. So one of the things that, and I absolutely, this has driven me nuts. So you talked about process, documenting processes yes. and so forth. And that is an area that's almost seen as a, a luxury in many places that yep. oh, we haven't got time to do this, but the amount of times that in my, in my career I've been in, 
and there's an Excel spreadsheet that somebody created 25 <laughs> years ago that nobody <laughs> yeah. knows, and no, that person has now left, but it's a critical piece yeah. of um, in there. But also the other thing that I was thinking of was, so when you're planning for, for building your team or building the success of your company, mm. another thing that I've witnessed is the founder or the, or the owner of the business that's too wedded to being a technician rather than a manager or a leader. And have you found that in, your, in the companies? That, yeah. And how do you overcome that? Yeah. Actually, just can I just step, take mm. one step back for a second? You were talking about managing to document processes mm. and things. There's this great, really great little tool called Otter. I don't yeah. know if you've heard of it. No, I've not heard of you it. Speak in, you speak at it and it transcribes it into words. So yeah. then you can actually go back and edit. So if you are Excellent. speaking your way through a process or yeah. you're driving somewhere and something comes to mind and you think, oh, I'll just describe that process, you can actually articulate it while you're driving, safely, of course. Excellent. And it actually documents it and then you go back later. So it actually does probably 75% of the work for you. So fantastic. it's a fantastic tool called yeah. Otter. Otter. Yeah, the otters that swim. Yeah. Okay, so lost <laughs> <laughs> So obviously as founders, oh, we're all very passionate about, yeah. yeah, so the difficulty <clears throat> making that move from being almost a technician almost yeah. in the business to a manager and leader, and how often do you find that as a problem in companies? It's, oh, if I think back many years ago when I was in New Zealand working for this healthcare company, we had a competitor company and a young guy set it up and run this business and it was to do with urology, laser equipment. This was years ago. Yeah. And he was a phenomenal sales guy and he mm. was doing so well that his business was growing like topsy. And I remember having a conversation with him way back when and he said to me, I love sales and it's my company, mm. but I realised that I'm crap at general management. Yeah. So he said, I'm going to employ a general manager and that person is going to basically be telling me what to do and I'm mm. happy about that. So what he did, and that goes back to the original question you asked me, yeah. because he knew his strengths and weaknesses and he knew his passions, it was actually quite, it made common sense to him or it made sense to mm. him to employ somebody in to do the job that he didn't want to do, which was the general manager, and leave him in the area that he was passionate yeah. about. So what, I, what I've noticed and what I've experienced in a number of organisations is when somebody sets a business up, they start up, they've got a great idea and it takes off and they go, alludes to what I was talking about before, they're so passionate, it, everything has to be done their way and if it's not done their way, it's not, it's not good enough. Yeah. I would suggest it's, it's really important for those people to learn to let go and to determine what it is they want to do in the business and what they need to bring in for the skill set and comes back to that scaling question you asked a little while ago, yeah. to actually um, who they need around them to complement them to grow mm. the business and to let it grow. So one of the biggest things about this whole thing is it's about we make our businesses so much about us still and it's all yeah. about our ego and it's all about what we want. In reality, if we're going to have a successful business, we have to actually make our business about what our client wants mm. and what our client needs. That's a really good point. And our product or our service offering has got to be the best it can be to meet that. And we mm. might be the best person to, to develop that, to continue to develop it, to, to deliver it, to, to sell it, whatever that is. And, but our egos often just won't let us let go of control of the whole thing. So mm. I think one of the, and if I think of another client that I'm working with at the moment, they started off creating this awesome piece of software years ago in the transport industry and they did a fantastic job. 
and then they've they employed other people in into the business uh, and they've sort of but they keep dipping this person continues to dip in and out of the product development and and in and out of the management and I've had various conversations with him about what is the area that you're passionate about what is it that you want to continue to do because what you're doing here is two jobs yeah. half bad and not a lot good mm. so you know it's about that person admitting it to themselves and then taking ownership and making some clear decisions yeah. about what else to do with the rest of the business to make to set it up so that it grows really well. Mm, as a consultant, that must be incredibly hard at times because that <laughs> involves a huge amount of in, emotional intelligence and from that person understanding that they're in this position and they actually need to be doing some, almost something completely different. And for you as a consultant, that massive admiration, how you actually bring that out in people and, and smooth that transition from that one state to, to the realisation state almost. So that then comes back to me recognising that what I need to provide to my clients is what's best for them mm. rather than me trying to manage them and their emotions. Yep. Because if I'm trying to manage how they're going to respond to me, then A, I'm taking responsibility for them and their emotions, which is not my responsibility. Mm. My responsibility is to provide them with the information, the input and the ideas that are going to do their business the best. Yep. So if I think back to a managing director I asked one day and I said to her, so when you've had consultants in your business, what has been the most important thing for you from that consultant? And this person said to me that they give me clear, unemotional and independent mm. and objective feedback, advice, ideas, guidance, yeah. because I don't want somebody, I'm not paying somebody big money to tell me what they think I want to hear. Yeah. So honesty and having those hard conversations and recognise, just get over yourself basically and recognise yeah. that, the, the more you can actually, if you've got the right intention for the client and that's the, you come from that position when you're having the conversation with them, I find that the conversation goes a heck of a lot better mm. than trying to trying to do it so that I'm worried about where my next paycheck's going to come from if, if I'm going to put them offside or whatever. That just doesn't work. So, yeah. And if it does, are they the right clients for me to work with? Probably not. Mm. Um, I can be fairly straightforward, as a lot of people that know me know, I like to think I do it with respect and I certainly do it with the best intentions. So yeah. I guess that's all I can do. Absolutely. That's superb. We're going to have to cut a couple of the sections short because this because I think I've been asking too many questions <laughs> of you. <laughs> um, so we'll go on to There's one question I wanted to ask and I was, um, which is to do with planning and building uh, scenarios within your business. Are your clients generally good at planning and scenario building? <laughs> So are they good at planning? Some of my my clients are incredibly good at planning and some of them, and those there's one particular one, uh, an IT company I've been working with for mm. a number of years. Uh, they provide all sorts of help desk support and yeah. server support, system support. They put their plans out there, they discuss them, they work on them, they workshop them, they keep them front of mind and they, that has led to them Work, being incredibly successful yeah. and also being able to adapt their plans when they've needed to to it's meet perfect, the needs of the yeah. market. Other people talk about planning and they do a strategic plan maybe once and it's a 50-page document that gets stuck in the back cupboard <laughs> and it never gets looked at again yeah. and that is just unfortunately a waste of money. Yeah. I find the best planning is a page or two that people can use, they can refer to, they can update, they can keep alive mm -hmm. and they can keep relevant to the situation as they go. 
So part of what I do, I guess, and I'm sure a lot of um, people that work with other businesses do, is help them with planning and then almost keep them accountable. Yeah. Or I guess what often happens, well, not I guess, I know what often happens is it the relationship very quickly develops into a sounding board situation mm. where once the plans are in place, often the biggest value to the business owner or senior management, and that's the area that I work at generally, they need somebody they can talk to about stuff they can't talk to their colleagues about, yeah. especially if that colleague is or their team about, especially if their team is the, mm. the, the issue. And therefore, when you build that trusted relationship with people as a trusted consultant, then, yeah, we can end up talking about all sorts of things because, let's face it, plans, people generally know their technology, generally know their services, generally know that stuff pretty well. So planning is probably not quite so yeah. important. Yeah. Where it, well, it is, but it's it's probably the detail is probably not so important. Mm. The area that most people lack in planning is succession planning for their business, yeah. especially in this day and age. There's a lot of people who are due to retire, wanting to sell, and essentially a lot of their businesses that they've been working on for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, as their retirement plan, it's not necessarily going to go according to plan now. And so in reality, they it probably would have benefited them to start thinking about some type of succession planning mm. or exit strategy probably five, even 10 years ago. Yeah. So that's yeah. the area I find that people neglect the most, yeah. generally the hardest. Uh-huh. The succession planning, and you can make the best succession plans in the world, and then a team member can say, "Bye, I'm leaving," and then you go. That puts me right back to stage one. So uh-huh. that's why with succession planning, it's important to what I say have depth and breadth in your plan rather than just focusing all your effort on one person because life happens. Yeah, absolutely. And funny enough, the succession plan, exit planning, because of the aging demographic and so yeah. forth, has been probably the biggest number of conversations I've, I've had yeah. with various of my clients who are looking to put to, to add those exit planning services to their their, their advisory their portfolio, portfolio so um, etc so one of the topics that you highlighted to talk about was advisory board work mm, yes and therefore one of the biggest areas or the main areas of focus so there's two main areas that advisory board people or groups tend to get tasked with mm-hmm. one is growth of the business and how do yeah. we do that The second one is succession planning. It's massive. It's about 30, I think for memory, about 30% of people identify that succession planning is the key thing they need to address within the next few years. Massive area. And, you know, I mean, we've off-air obviously talked about advisory boards. I mean, you you know that Jazoodle started out as uh, and the decision to actually invest in the software came about as a result of the advisory board that I pulled together. And you're, you're incredibly passionate about um, the value of um, advisory boards. What would you say to the small business owners and startup advisors when they are starting out? How should they go about and what should they do with regards to an advisory advice. board? Yeah. Well, so I belong to the Advisory Board Centre, which is mm-hmm. uh, an organisation that's been around now for about three to four years. And yep. it's it's been developed in response to businesses growing past a desire for one specific consultant. Yeah. But and they have one particular problem they need to solve and the advisory board or a group of people that have a particular skill set or, or knowledge base based on experience from where they've come from is what the business owner is looking for, to fast track them. Mm. Yeah. So there's a continuum of support and advisors that, that businesses, small startups to medium, whatever, even large, some divisions of large organisations and even government bodies mm. now are looking at advisory yeah. boards. 
So there's a difference between governance boards and advisory boards, which I'll get to in a sec. But the continuum starts off often when people start up a small business. They start up with their friends, family members, as we talked about, whatever, right? Then they progress to like a peer group, whether mm. it's a networking group like BNI or something like that. Yeah. They progress to that. And that's how they get their leads and their, and their um, or they go online and get their, belong to various online communities yeah. and get their input from there. And then they tend to move to specialist consultants like accountants or, mm. or business consultants or and business consultants, yeah. and therefore they get specific information, but it can be quite general uh, information. And, and then they get to a stage like, well, we now need to look at exporting to China or we want mm. to, you know, go to an IPO or, or something like that. So I've actually got an organisation, another client of mine, that are moving towards an IPO at the end of next okay. year. And what they've basically done is they've actually led straight to a governance board, but a lot of people go to a, an advisory board in the meantime. Yeah. So the different, the key differences between an advisory board and a governance board, for, for those that aren't clear, a governance board is more a, it's more a decision-making and a monitoring and review board. So yeah. they keep make sure that the organisation and its management are staying on track. Uh, if it's a not-for-profit, they're looking after, or even if it's a for-profit, a public organisation, they're looking after the the interests of the stakeholders and the yeah. shareholders. So that's their role, and they keep management on track. Mm. Whereas an advisory board is more, I'm a business owner, you're a business owner, like you just identified, Andrew, and you wanted to develop your product. How mm. can I do that? Yeah. That generally takes more input from more than one person. Yeah. And that, that's where an advisory board can be a really valuable addition to the, the stable of advisors. So a lot of people go, oh, I want my lawyer and my accountant or whatever on that advisory board. And I often say to them, well, if, how long have you been working with those people? And they say, oh, five or ten years. And I yeah. say, well, I believe that people have a lot uh, of an expiry date almost for consultants because, you know, you <laughs> work with people. That's a great term, yeah. You know, for, and you, you share your knowledge and ideas and skill sets with them and and then it's time to move on. So I say to my clients after a period of time, am I still adding value? Because I'm, yep. if I'm not, I need to, you know, yep. you need to let me go and I need to, you need to bring someone else in. An advisory board essentially, there's a process we go through. It's a 90-day plan where we do a business assessment, look at where the business is at, look at mainly to see that they've got some clear strategies and a clear vision where they want to go. And if necessary, we can either set up like a pop-up advisory mm -hmm. board for a short time yep. and that deals with a short-term project or we can set up if it's a growth or a succession planning strategy, then that generally around experience is showing it's around a three-year engagement with the same people yep. before we can refresh that. But there's no, in our model, there's no commitment. It's just mm. you onboard and offboard advisors and people yep. as you go. Governance board makes decisions. The advisory board creates a forum that is focused on your business, your strategies, your issues, and we road test and problem solve and provide opportunities, information, experience, knowledge, and guidance and ideas. Mm. But the business owner is the one who finally who makes the final yeah. decision about which way they're going to go. So it's quite a different model. The the, the responsibility, the decision making remains with the business owner versus the governance board, mm. which is when they get told essentially what to do. So, But we still have a charter in our model and we still recommend that people have an independent chair. The reason being the independent chair can look after the process yeah. and that leaves the business owner free 
to participate fully mm. in the problem solving, the decisions, the questioning, rather than having to worry about, you know, anything else that's going on. And that's where an independent can share can be of, of real value. And keep mm. everything on track yeah. and ask the right questions when Correct. they need to be asked as well. Yeah, and make sure that there's value that's coming yeah. from the advisors. They also are the ones that prep the advisors before the meeting and say these are the these are the questions that the business owner wants resolved or wants addressed in our next meeting. Mm. And so please go away, do your homework. Um, and so when we get together, we'll be going straight into the business. Absolutely. And the thing that really excites me about advisory boards is just they're not a one-time thing at a certain stage of your startup or of your, you have you get together or you should get a, together an advisory board when you need that additional skill, additional perspective, diversity of thought for a particular problem or opportunity yeah. that you've got within your business. Absolutely. So you mentioned about startups or when... Mm. so. Because advisory boards generally do cost money, you mm. need to be a funded startup. Yeah. And then generally uh, what we find is that small businesses, unless they've scaled up really quickly, essentially aren't likely to be able to afford it mm. until they've got to about two or three million yeah. turnover. And then it's probably worth looking at, at having a reasonable mm. engagement with the advisory board for a period of time. That's going to yeah. give you value. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Right, we are rapidly running out of time. We've got a couple of questions just to finish up on. Yep. If there was one piece of advice you could give to any budding entrepreneur or business owner, what would it be? Well, there's probably a couple. Keep it simple. Yep. Because it's us that feels the need for delivering complexity, whereas mm-hmm. our clients don't need that. The other thing, though, really is know yourself. Yep. So I go back to know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know your passions know where you're heading, know what your goal is, because after the novelty has worn off of having a business and the reality sets in, you need something that causes you to get out of bed in the morning Mm. and continue to do what you're doing, because otherwise you can get very burnt out. And also when you're clear on what you're doing and where you're going and what skills you have, it's then much easier to identify what complementary skills and Mm. and people you can gather around you to, to help live your vision and bring it to life. Yeah, absolutely. And if you had a magic wand, what would be the one thing that you would wish for? That business owners would recognise or realise the impact of their own behaviour and approach in the workplace and how that impacts their team. I have a lot of organisations, a lot of business owners that get me in and say, I've got this this person that's causing me this problem and that person Mm. that's causing me that problem. When I go and talk to those people and find out what's going on, it's often that the business owner is either so busy or so preoccupied or so fixed on their own ideas yeah. or so unable to let go of how things should show up that the skilled people they brought in aren't able to do the job that they've been brought in to do and yeah. they, everybody ends up disappointed. Yeah. So my biggest thing, if I could wave a magic wand, was that business owners suddenly went, oh, my gosh, I need to be accountable and aware of how I'm behaving mm. and and how I'm occurring to my team and to yeah. my clients and take ownership for that because once you do that, then it's much easier to identify yeah. where other people are falling short or not. So rather than people saying, do what I say, not what I do, mm-hmm. it's about follow me, I'm going to lead you, and we're all going to get excited and on board and, and make a great success. Yeah, absolutely. That is fantastic. I wish that's for sure. So um, just um, in closing up, because we have now run out of time, where can listeners find out more about you, Joe, and about your businesses and, uh, and services that you provide? So I have a website, 
www.mindyourpeas.com.au. That's rapidly getting a facelift in the new year. I've been promising that for a while. The other place that you can get more up-to-date data probably is on LinkedIn. So yeah. LinkedIn, Joe Hanlon, and that's where I guess all my current information that's relevant to my clients is. Yeah. So those are the best places. Or if you're on the Central Coast, come to yeah, Brendan, Brendan's LinkedIn, we'll LinkedIn, LinkedIn Local. Come into yep. that fantastic uh, LinkedIn Local Central Coast group, which absolutely. is so useful. Yeah, and one absolutely. really quick thing about that, it's those types of groups where if you show up consistently, mm. you build that trust, you get to know your fellow peers on the coast and yep. you can end up forming some fantastic collaborations and, and partnerships. So I encourage people to come along. Fantastic. Well, that was absolutely wonderful, Joe. Thank you very much for being our special guest this week. That was unreal, actually. I'm going to sit and listen to this over and over again <laughs> afterwards. Thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. And please, everybody, reach out and contact Joe because it will be absolutely worth it. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate the opportunity. Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas. And this is the last episode of Before Christmas. We've got some lined up for after Christmas. So have a great Christmas, everyone, and we will see you after the festive season.